Man, it is so good to be with you. I will be honest, I'm a little bit overwhelmed by what we just experienced. Uh, the band, amazing. The sound in the room is just so good to be here and experience that. Uh, the lightsabers that we have put on the stage, I mean, you can't do ministry without lightsabers, and that is overwhelming. But here's why I'm a little bit overwhelmed, because when I walked across the parking lot to be here uh, tonight, I heard a thwop, 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 thwop sound. And a car had um, a flat tire. And they stopped and got out of the car. It was um, a lady that was in need of help. And I start to walk over, but before I get there, there's already somebody from Willow uh, stepping out of his car. He walks up and says, how can I help? And I said, you know, we actually, sir, have a car's ministry that might be able to step in. He goes, I know. I serve in the cars ministry. And I thought, that's God's providence. That's super cool because if I was going to change that tire, we'd be in big trouble. And so he gets to work on this. Next thing you know, here comes uh, a lady uh, and, and she pulls up and she jumps out of her car and she says, hey, just wanted to welcome you to Willow. We're so glad that you're here. And then she turns around and sees what's happening. She introduces herself to this lady and says, you don't go to Willow? She said, well, I think God's got you here and invites her to church tonight. So I don't know if she's here tonight, but guys, uh, uh, ma'am, if you are here, I want you to know that the feeling that you're feeling is no accident. If you're watching this online, someone's invited you to a watch party, you're on a treadmill and you're just starting to sense that, wait a second, this is more than just a church service. I want you to know that I believe God has you here for a reason. Ma'am, if you're here tonight, I want you to know that this church is so excited. We do this because we love God, but we also do this because of people like you. We want you to know the goodness and grace of Jesus. And I'm not the only one that feels that way. Everybody that is clapping right now is literally praying, God, will you help people experience the goodness and grace of Jesus through our time tonight? That is our prayer. Well, uh, I don't know how often you have been to a foreign country. I haven't been all that much, but I went to Ukraine on a mission trip. And as soon as I stepped off the plane, realized that everything was different. I mean, the, the, the language was different, the alphabet was different, the cars, I didn't see a lot of Fords uh, rolling around, so all kinds of different cars that I'd never seen before, and even the food was different. We were hosted by people, uh, nationals there, and uh, all the food was different. It was yummy, it was good, but about every meal, they would set out a big bowl of the, I mean, just the biggest, reddest, juiciest cherries that I'd ever seen in my life. Now, I've had a cherry on top of a Sunday, but served with a meal, just never had it. But I'm telling you, they were so good. I mean, about every meal I had, I probably had five, six, seven, eight cherries, just loved it. Well, about four days in, I'm uh, having a meal, lunchtime, and I'm about five cherries in, and I look over, and here's one of my friends that had come with me, and uh, they were cutting their cherry open and digging in the center of the cherry. I said, what are you doing? He said, well, you got to get the worm out. <laughs> Guys, in Ukraine, they don't use pesticides. 
And so about every cherry that they get has a little white worm in it. Wish you'd have told me that up front. I don't know how many worms I consumed that night. Here's another thing. We went to a baptism service that same week. It was so great. There were people that were getting baptized. And what, what they would do is after each baptism, there would be this moment where they would, they would pause and they would extend a hand. Everybody in the crowd would extend a hand and silently pray a prayer of blessing over the person that was just baptized. It was touching. It was heartwarming. Well, in the moment of silent, a buddy of mine decides he's got to fill the room, this, this void, this silence with some music. Now, he can't sing, so he just starts whistling. Amazing grace. It was beautiful. Except for the fact that it is a superstition in Ukraine that if you whistle indoors, you are calling evil spirits into the room. Congratulations on your baptism, sir. You are now demon-possessed, okay? Like, it is just, it was a different place. There were so many things that were different. I don't know how many times in your life you have felt like an outsider, like a foreigner, like you're out of place. But that's how we meet the central character in our journey series, Daniel. Uh, Daniel's going to explain to us in his, in his book, it's about 650 B.C., and Daniel's explaining to us that a bad king, Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, has invaded uh, King Jehoiakim of Israel and basically conquered all the Israelite people. And in the midst of doing that, began to ransack the temple. Now, the temple is the center of everything, the center of culture. And they start to take away every valuable thing, every holy thing, every sacred thing they take away. But that's not all. They take something even more valuable. In verse 3, Daniel says this, Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, king of his court officials, or chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect. Handsome. So think Brad Pitt, Zac Efron, Albert Tate, kind of handsome people. Okay. Showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained, inculcated, um, uh, given the culture for three years. And then after that, they were to enter the king's service. Among these were from Judah, Daniel, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah. So here's Daniel, probably 15, 16 years of age, and he is taken away from his family, away from his culture, away from everything he knows. He's uprooted and taken 720 miles away and dropped down into a pagan environment. And the whole program that he's entering into is to sort of wipe out everything that's Jewish about him. They want to make him into a Babylonian leader. So the question as we start our journey through Daniel is how is Daniel going to live as a God-fearing Jew, how is he going to live in a pagan, foreign land? How is he going to live out the convictions that he has? Now, whoever you are, uh, whether you're a person of faith or not, you have convictions. 
You have things that are important to you. You have commitments that you have made to yourself or, or, or made to the people that you love. You've looked in the mirror at some point and said, you know what, buddy, this is the kind of man that I want to be. Or this is the kind of wife I want to be. Or this is the kind of employer that I want to be. I've got convictions about my life. Whoever you are, you have convictions. But what I also know about you is that you live in this world where everything, it seems, tries to distract us from accomplishing or carrying out or living out our convictions. We get distracted. There's opposition. Sometimes we fail early on, and that uh, is a temptation to quit. Uh, There's just these temptations that will get us down life, uh, get us down the road of life having not lived up to our convictions if we're not careful. And if you're a person of faith, the question becomes even more acute. If you're a person of faith, then the question becomes, man, how do I follow God? There's my conviction. How do I follow God in a culture that doesn't? How do I follow God in a culture that doesn't? I want to show you three things that Daniel did and see if we can't learn from them. The first thing that Daniel does is he resolves resolves in his mind not to even make a small compromise. The Hebrew word here for resolve is, is um, it, it indicates this idea of having settled the matter beforehand. So in other words, before I even get into the situation where I'm tempted, uh, wherever, before I even get into the situation where I'm going to have to make a choice, I have decided beforehand what my conviction is and how I will live that out. That's what resolved means. And in Daniel 1.8, it says this, Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, if you're like me, you're looking over Daniel's shoulder and going, dude, what's the big deal? Like the king's table, he's probably got Krispy Kreme donuts there. He's probably got T-bone steaks. He's probably got some great bacon. He's got some great stuff going on there. And wine, what's wrong with wine? You uptight? Like, why can't we do the wine? What's going on, Daniel? But what we may not understand, listen, the Old Testament, God gives dietary restrictions to his Jewish followers. To his people, there were certain meats and foods that they weren't supposed to eat. There were certain ways of preparing food. That once that food was prepared that way, they weren't supposed to eat it. And, and here's another thing that we know. In, in Babylon, it was a custom that when they would drink wine, they would toast foreign gods. It was, it was a bit of worship to foreign gods. And so for Daniel, this was a big deal. For Daniel, he had resolved in his mind, I will not participate in anything that would dishonor my God. I can't participate in eating from the king's food. I cannot participate in this wine, even though it's just a small little deal in the eyes of other people. One night, um, I was at youth group. It was actually a small group, and our youth pastor came, and he had given us, uh, made some brownies for us, and he had this kind of strange conversation. He, He just kept asking us, you know, or is there a difference between big sins and small sins? Or he would ask us, you know, um, is there ever a sin that's okay? Or um, is it okay to, to, to have just a little bit of sin 
Uh, just a little bit. How much sin is okay? Like he just kept asking these weird questions. But here's the thing. We were teenage boys. We were professional rationalizers. We loved the conversation. We dug in like, are you kidding me? Um, I'll tell you what, if it's an algebra quiz, now I wouldn't cheat on a test, but an algebra quiz, not that big a deal. He'd say, why? Because I'm never going to use algebra again in my life. Now, of course, as a pastor, I use algebra all the time, children, and you should definitely do your algebra. But, you know, like, he would ask that question. Or um, drinking. I remember us talking about, you know, 21, that's an arbitrary age, and, and somebody just came up with that, and there's nothing in the Bible that says you have to be 21, so I think it's okay. Or I remember talking about our parents, and I remember the term little white lies coming up, and and we were good kids. Like, we didn't want to do the big, bad sins, but we kind of, you know, concluded to him, communicated to him that a little bit of sin was okay. Now, at some point, he kind of stopped the conversation. He said, I'm so glad to hear that, boys. He said, because I wasn't sure if you would want these brownies tonight. When I was making them, I was also cleaning out the litter box in the kitchen, and a little bit of the litter box waste got into the brownies. But boys, don't even worry. It was just a little bit. Our jaw hit the floor. We were like, are you, what? Are you serious? Are you kidding? So if you're keeping score, definitely worms and probably something worse, okay? He never really told us if he did it or not. But folks, here's the deal. Small compromises, they start small, but we have to resolve in our mind. And if we don't resolve it in our mind, those small things, they will grow you stretch the truth to make yourself look better. You, you Facebook stalk an X. It's just small little things in our mind, but guys, it can grow. I saw this one day that you sow a thought, you reap a deed. You sow a deed, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap a character. And you sow a character, you reap a destiny. Do you see how those small little compromises really aren't that insignificant and small at all? And so Daniel would teach us, we need to resolve in our mind from the very beginning, we will not participate in even the smallest of compromises. Now, I wonder what Daniel thought about. I wonder how he settled these things in his mind. I wonder how he fed his mind. I wonder if he looked at scripture. I wonder if he looked at some of those old Jewish scriptures, those dietary laws, and kind of just reminded himself, yep, I don't want to do that. I know that's what I do, not really dietary laws, but I'll look at scripture and I'll think, you know what, these are some of the things that are important to me. These are convictions. I have a conviction that I want what comes out of my mouth to be positive. And so I've memorized Philippians 2.14. I've memorized do everything without complaining and arguing. Parents of teenagers, write that one down. Do everything without complaining and arguing. I wonder if Daniel thought about Scripture. I wonder if Daniel thought about some of the heroes of the faith. I wonder if he thought of Abraham and and how when Abraham lived out his conviction that, that God blessed him. Just like we can gather together and think about Daniel and think about how Daniel is living out his conviction and how God is going to bless him. I wonder if Daniel ever thought about his family. 
I wonder if he thought about, hey, what would mom think if I compromised my conviction? I wonder what my friends would think, my family would think, my faith community. I know for me, there are times when I'm tempted to compromise my conviction. And, and, and at that moment, I'll think to myself, yeah, but what, what would this mean for my kids? What would this mean for my family? What would this mean for my friends? What would this mean for my faith community? Guys, sometimes when we compromise in our character and in our convictions, that has ripple effects on other people. So Daniel decides, he resolves up front, I will not compromise. He resolves it in his mind. But it wasn't just enough for him to think it. He then says it. He speaks his conviction. Listen again to verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. So Daniel reveals his convictions. He speaks them out loud. And in some way, as a culture, we have figured out that when we take our convictions and we speak them out loud, there is power to that. That is why when you get married, you say vows to each other. You take your conviction, your feeling, and you speak it out loud. That's why when uh, an inauguration happens or someone comes into office, they will, they will speak out loud that oath of office. That's why when you want to lose a few pounds or you have goals at your work, you take these dreams, these thoughts that you have, and you share it with somebody. You say, hey, hold me accountable. I want this thing not to just be a dream. I want it to be a plan. I want it to be a goal. And so we speak our convictions out loud. But for people of faith, it's even more important. I like to say that we, we live our faith out loud. It's not enough just to be a good example. We want to live our faith out loud. It will help us with our convictions. I was in Chicago. I went to school in Chicago and I told our South Lake uh, campus this a couple weeks ago. Um, it was my turn to take the garbage out. And it was one of those January Chicago winters, super cold. And I was in my, you know, jammies and I'm going out of college. I've got my sweatpants on and everything. And I'm just freezing. And my face is probably all crinkled up like this. I was not excited to be taking the garbage out. But I take it and I put it in the dumpster, close the dumpster. I turn around and here comes the dump truck, the, the garbage truck. It pulls up, the door flings open. And here bounds out this garbage man. He takes one look at frowny face over here. And he says, hey, having a trashy day? (laughs) And in his hand, I pulled over. It was a track that said, having a trashy day, try Jesus. Having a trashy day, try Jesus. He had written out a Bible track. If you know what a Bible track is, a bunch of verses that help you lead somebody to Christ or share Christ with somebody. And here is this guy. And I, I just like, I'm stepping back. I couldn't believe what this guy is all about. And he goes, can I pray for you? How can I encourage you? Let me tell you. And he tries to share Christ with me. Come to find out this guy gets up every day for his root. And he prays and he resolves in his mind, God, whoever I see today, I'm going to encourage them. I'm going to share Jesus with them. He saw his garbage route like a missionary journey. And then he said it to me, something that I'll never forget. He said, Dave, I'm not a 
garbage man who just happens to be a Christian. I'm a Christian who just happens to be a garbage man. And Dave, that makes all the difference. Isn't that good? Yeah, it's good. And you know what? Here's the thing. I think it works with other jobs too. So if you're a banker, you're not just a banker who happens to go to church. You're a follower of Jesus who just happens to work in finance. Or if you're a teacher, an educator, you're not, you're not an educator who just happens to own a Bible and love Jesus. You are a passionate follower of Jesus whose mission field just happens to be the school system. Does that make sense? We ought to be living our faith out loud. So that's what Daniel does. He just basically says, I've got this conviction. I mean, how intimidating would it have been to be around these very powerful people, to be taken away from all that you know, and yet he speaks up. I've got a conviction about this. I just don't feel right about it. In Daniel 9.10, look what happens. Now God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. Folks, when you have strong conviction, the people around you will stand up and notice. They will respect it. When you are someone that has strong convictions and you live it out with humility, with grace, people respect it. They may not tell you, but they see that inner strength in you and they say, my goodness, I wish I was as strong. I wish I was as self-disciplined. I wish I was as dedicated as that person. And you will win favor with people. And next thing you know, I mean, talk about not getting uh, knocked off the beaten path. Once people know who you are and what you're about, guys, you don't get pulled into the negative conversations quite as often. You don't get invited to the unhealthy parties or the unhealthy situations as often. You don't get offered the shady business deals as often because people know who you are and they know what you're about. Well, this official told Daniel, I've got favor, I've got sympathy for you, Daniel. I see where you're coming from, but his respect for Daniel is outweighed by his fear of King Nebuchadnezzar. Look at this. He says, I told Daniel, I'm, I'm afraid of my Lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. So Daniel has resolved in his mind. He has revealed his conviction out loud. This is who he is. But then now he's just got to rely on the creator. He's just got to make a decision to let, let, he's just got to trust God with this. And this is what happens. He's powerless, so he just trusts God. Daniel said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat, water to drink, and then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. And so he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. Daniel doubled down. He said, you know what? Just, just test the way my God has set things up. You, you just test him. Now, how hard would that be to trust God in that moment? Daniel has been taken from everything he knows. God, where were you in that? Daniel, maybe he had dreams, maybe he had visions, maybe he had uh, a, a vision for his life in Israel. That's all gone now. God, where were you in all of that? 
Daniel's life is maybe on the line here. God, where are you in all of that? And yet, even though he's going through probably one of the more challenging things you could ever go through, being, being taken away captive in a foreign land, Daniel trusted God. Now, how do you do that? There's a, there's a clue in verse two. If you were to back up to verse two, Daniel is writing this story and he actually says, the Lord gave Israel into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. You hear that? From Daniel's perspective, he says, hey, God's been in control the entire time. This whole thing, God's hand is orchestrating this whole thing. God is in charge. God is in control. And so even though it feels like he's not there, even though it feels like I'm going through something really hard right now, I'm still going to trust God because from where I sit, I see God in control of everything. Can I stop just for a second and talk to you? In a couple weeks, we're going to have an election. And some of you, after the election is over, you're going to be really happy. Some of you are going to be happy because you're going to think, man, my, my guy won, and now things are going to maybe start moving the way that I hope they go. But there's going to be a lot of you that are pretty disappointed. You're going to, you're going to throw your hands up and, and, and maybe be mad you may even be tempted to say, God, where are you in all this? Because I can't even fathom how you would allow this person to get that role. And can I encourage you in that moment to follow Daniel's example? Trust God. Folks, I, I would encourage you. Romans 13 says that all authority on earth is established by God, that means the Homeowners Association president as well as the president of the United States. Established by God. Whichever party it is, God's hand is in the midst. And you know what Romans 8 talks about? It says God is working all things together for the good of those that love him. So I just want to I know it's early, I haven't been here that long, but if I could just play the role of your pastor for a moment, I just want to encourage you that no matter who wins, God wins. Can I say that? No matter who wins, God wins, and you can trust him. Well, we ought to end this story and be done. Daniel goes on and says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. Yes. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them in, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And so they entered the king's service in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them. He found them 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. 10 days and it all worked out. Guys, I think this might be a fun way to end. I wonder what, what you could tackle God's way for the next 10 days. 
I wonder if there's some next step, some area of your life where you have a conviction that you might resolve in your mind to say, you know what, for the next 10 days, I'm going to follow that. In fact, I'm going to follow Daniel's example, and I'm going, to, I'm going to tell somebody about it. I'm going to reveal my conviction so that it becomes a plan, and I'm going to trust God, and for the next 10 days, I'm going to read my Bible. Or for the next 10 days, I'm going to, uh, I'm, I'm going to work, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to work, but I'm going to get home from work on time, and I'm going to value and communicate value to my family. I'm going to do that for the next 10 days. Or you know what, I'm not going to do anything uh, except positive things on social media for the next 10 days. Now that would be a miracle, come on. But what would we do? Hey, you know what, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to eat right for the next 10 days and tell somebody about it. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm still praying at 2.42 p.m., every day. My alarm went off today. I'm still praying. I'm praying for Willow. I'm praying for what's next at Willow, that vision. And guys, I've added to it. I'm just praying for revival in Chicagoland. I am praying for revival in Chicagoland. And so as you are listening to this, maybe join me for the next 10 days at 242. Let's pray that God moves forward in an incredible way and sweeps through our city like never before. Guys, I want you to be able to get to the end of your life and look at yourself in the mirror and say, you know what? I did it. I'm not exhausted because I tried to win the approval of everybody else in my life. I had convictions. I stuck with them and I'm living a life without regret. I want you to be able to live in a culture that is spinning with all sorts of distractions around you and say, you know what? I live for an audience of one and his name is Jesus Christ. I want to make sure that you get to the end of your life and with the choices that you've made, with the priorities that you have set, with the words that you have spoken, guys, with the way that you have lived your life, that you could be confident that you have made our God and creator smile. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we give up these next 10 days to you. We ask you to move in powerful ways. We thank you, Lord, for the example of Daniel. Lord, God, show us. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear what it is that you're calling us to do next, how we can live out our faith. And then, Father, for those that are just uh, checking out church, who are just exploring their faith, God, give them a conviction. And, and, and Father, help them to test the waters of what it means to lean on you, to pray, to ask for your help in that area of their life. Lord, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.